Well, somebody told me the other day that they switched their GPS from a woman's voice to a man's voice. But now the only thing it says is just keep driving. It's around here somewhere. So I thought that was good. Hey, I don't know what brought you here, uh, but we're super stoked that you are here. Happy New Year. Man, super glad to have each and every one of you. If this is your first time here, my name is Aaron. And I am one of the pastors here. If you're not in a hurry today, and I've not, in, and, and I've not, I haven't, sorry, I'm still battling a cold, and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. If you're not in a hurry, I'd love to meet you uh, out at Next Steps before you take off today. It'd be an honor, truly, just for me to say hi, and I won't keep you long, so hopefully you can do that if, again, I haven't had the chance to meet you already. Well, uh, I imagine that many of you probably are approaching this new year in 2023 with some kind of hope. Uh, maybe that's a hope of things being different. Maybe that's a hope that things have been going pretty good and they'll continue to go good. Uh, as you know, a lot of people go into a new year with resolutions or goals and different things that they want to change, some, some different priorities they wanna make in life, maybe some new rhythms to create. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to err on the side of being more practical than truly preaching. And the reason why I wanna be practical is because before I got into ministry, a lot of you don't know this, I actually used to be a fitness professional and a strength coach, and I used to do a lot of life coaching and different things like that. I've got a bachelor's degree in exercise physiology and spent a lot of time uh, before ever even thinking that ministry was uh, an option on the table, uh, just trying to coach people in life. Now, once I carried that over into full-time ministry, I continued to coach people, but a lot of that came through more of spiritual advice and biblical counsel. And so what I wanna do today is I want us to slow down when it comes to the different changes that we want to implement into our life. Uh, maybe, again, you call them a goal or you'd call them a New Year's resolution. Maybe you don't call it anything, you just know you want to implement some change. But what I want us to do today is instead of thinking of resolution, I want us to think of foundation. Let me say that again. Instead of thinking of resolutions, I want us to think of the foundation because no matter what we implement, no matter what change we bring to the table, no matter the different things that we would like to see you know, change in our life, different rhythms that we would like to create, if those things are implemented on top of a faulty foundation when it comes to our life, then ultimately what we're doing is building our, our life on a house of cards. So let me start here. Some of you know that last March I got an incredible opportunity to go to the Holy Land. I went to Israel, and out of all the things that really were impactful uh, on me in that trip, I would say that the most impactful experiences was getting to walk where Jesus walked, um, and more specifically, specific places where he established very important parts and aspects of the Christian faith. The number one that stands out to me is where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Here's a picture of me. Uh, standing up on top of a hill with the Sea of Galilee behind me. And the, the, tour, the, the tour guide that's kind of you know, walking us through these different places said that this particular area was like a natural amphitheater. And so when Jesus spoke from up on top of this hill that hundreds if not thousands of people actually could have heard the things that he was saying. And so they believed that this is where he would have communicated the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're new to the church, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the sermon that Jesus is the most known for, well known for, his most popular sermon, if you will. If you ever wanna read it, it's captured between Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter seven. 
And one of the things that stood out to me as I'm standing in this particular place up on top of this hill, looking out where Jesus would have preached his most famous sermon, is I was looking at his context. Many of you know this, that Jesus was a master communicator when it came to taking everyday life experiences and different illustrations within the context of what people were experiencing and seeing and how they were living and putting that in a way to inform people of a, of a greater spiritual reality. And so as I'm standing up on top of this hill where Jesus preached his most famous sermon, I'm looking at some of the things that he likely was pointing to as he was communicating all these very important parts of the Christian faith. And at one point in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us to be a light, right? He, he's the light of the world. He brought light into a dark world and he, he gives us that light and he tells us to be a light in the world. And he said, like a city on a hill, that light should never be hidden. And I'm standing in this place and there's a city over on a hill called Tiberias. And I'm just seeing the different things that Jesus likely would have pointed to as he's communicating these different things. Now, I wanna get off on a detour really quick, if that's okay. And for those of you that are interested or more interested in apologetics, which is uh, really the defense of the Christian faith, uh, I wanna make a note about the Sermon on the Mount. Because some critics would point out that when you read through the other gospels, again, we find the, the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety in Matthew chapter five through chapter seven. But when you read through the other gospels, you'll actually see different ways that the other gospel writers captured some of the same points that Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount, but they're captured differently. And so critics would point to those things and say, see, the gospel writers didn't even have it the same. To which I would say, that's actually a better point to the accuracy of the scriptures. Because if this was a story that they were just wanting to manufacture, wouldn't we imagine that they would have gotten together and be like, Matthew, what did you write? Luke, what did you write? Mark, what did you write? Let's make sure we say the same thing. But I believe, alongside of, a, of many scholars, that Jesus wouldn't have just preached this sermon one time that because these were very important aspects of what it meant to be a follower of his, as he traveled along the different areas of Judea, he's recommunicating these same points, but his landscape changes, right? And because Jesus is brilliant at taking everyday experiences and illustrations to bring about a spiritual reality, as his landscape changes, he begins to point to maybe something different. And he's still communicating. There's no contradictions in these points. He's still communicating the same points, but he's pointing to different things. Now, out of all the things that Jesus communicates uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, I would imagine that there's at least one of them that as we hear them, because I'm gonna read them out to us, as we hear them, I would imagine there's at least one of them that we would say, you know what, in this new year, that comes new opportunities, maybe I need to spend a little bit more time thinking about that. And, and not just thinking about it in the context of my own life, but thinking about it in the context of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so as I read through this list of the different things that Jesus taught on in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you grab onto one of them. And again, I would encourage you to go later and read through the entire Sermon on the Mount yourself. He speaks of us taking his light into a dark world. He talks about how he came to fulfill the Mosaic law. In other words, the old covenant has been fulfilled by Jesus. And therefore, New Testament believers are not underneath that old covenant any longer. We're underneath a brand new covenant. That's really important. He talks about murder. 
He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about the importance of telling the truth, of not seeking revenge and learning to even forgive and pray for our enemies. He talks about the importance of giving and prayer and fasting. He talks about the dangers of pursuing money at the expense of other things that should be more important. He talks about not worrying about things that we can't control. Anybody feel like they'd like to work on that a little bit? He talks about, he talks about trusting God and not judging others. He talks about seeking God out for your needs and not relying on things that will never fulfill what you truly need to be fulfilled in your soul. And then he talks about what it means to be a true follower. And he says that just knowing him is not enough. Those are some pretty big ideas. Those are some pretty big concepts. And after speaking about all of these different things, he concludes with what I would argue are some of the most important words that Jesus ever spoke. He concludes this sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter seven between verses 24 and 27. And he does this by what I, I would suggest pointing to real things that are around him. Let me show you what I'm talking about. He says this, therefore, in other words, based on everything that I just told you, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, as I'm standing up on top of this hill that you saw that picture earlier, looking down on the Sea of Galilee, you can see different cities. You can see Capernaum, you can see Magdala, and you definitely could see different houses and structures. Some that were still intact and some that didn't make it. Now, I know this is 2,000 years that I'm standing on this hill after Jesus, but I would imagine there were still very similar things that he could have pointed to. And so he says, you can hear these words of mine and put them into practice, and if you do that, You'll be like that wise person. You see that house down there? Who was smart. Who understands that when the, when the storms roll over the Sea of Galilee, there are particular places where that storm is going to cause more devastation because of how the winds come together and create a greater force. And so you can be wise and you can build your house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like that foolish man. It's like that person that didn't take the time to think through what was going to happen when they built their house in that particular spot on that particular foundation, knowing that the storms were going to come at some point. And when they did, it was going to cause devastation to the foundation. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it fell with a great crash. So, to kind of sum up what Jesus is saying here, saying, okay guys, listen, 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 listen. Everything that I just taught you, you can do whatever you want with it, but if you'll actually take it and put it into practice. If you actually listen, not just listen, but take what I'm saying to you and establish how you're going to build your life on it. If you do that, when the storms come, and do we all know storms are coming in our life, the inevitable storms that are gonna come in our direction? Maybe you're here today and you're in a storm. 
But when we take the words of Jesus and we put them into practice, it's like building our life on a foundation that can withstand the inevitable storms that will come our way. Or, he says, you can hear everything that I just said, and you can know it, I mean, you can memorize it, but if you don't put it into practice, you'll be like the foolish person who built their house on a foundation that couldn't withstand the inevitable storms that will come in our direction. Putting the words of Jesus, church, putting the words of Jesus into practice is how we build the strongest foundation for our lives, period. And no matter, no matter what changes we want to implement, no matter how noble our New Year's resolutions may be, if we put those on top of a faulty foundation, anything built on anyone else other than Jesus, our lives will not be able to withstand the inevitable storms that are headed our way. If you've ever been house shopping, um, maybe this is a great way to illustrate it. If you've ever been house shopping, you know that one of the first things that you look for to make sure that it's solid is the foundation, right? You start looking for houses and you wanna make sure that the foundation is strong and so you're looking for cracks in the ceilings or in the floor or out in the concrete outside or down in the basement because you know if there's a crack in the foundation or if the foundation isn't secure, that it doesn't matter how pretty the things are built on top of it, at some point they're going to be more subjected to devastation because the foundation wasn't able to hold it up securely. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. So often in our Christian lives, we allow Jesus to be a point of reference. I want you to think about this for a second. And when I say he's a point of reference, you know, we will communicate different aspects of our faith. Maybe when we get around these people over here and they have similar, you know, hopes in mind when it comes to what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so maybe over here, we reference Jesus more. He becomes a point of reference. Or maybe when it's convenient for us, we allow Jesus to become a point of reference. Maybe when we need something, Jesus becomes a bigger point of reference in our prayer life even. But can I encourage us in a new year to stop allowing Jesus to be a point of reference and instead make him the reference point? Make him the reference point to which everything else revolves around it. If I were to balance this bat, as long as I look at the top of this bat, and therefore it becoming my reference point, I could do this all day long. And I can still see you guys in my periphery, even though my eyes are fixed on this, I can still see you guys. If I, if I needed to, I could still walk around on the stage. I'm not gonna try walking down the stairs. My watch is going off for some reason. So that's my reference point. But if I look away, it's impossible to keep this bat balanced. I would tell you that too often, and I'm, I'm as guilty as the next person, too often I just allow Jesus to be a point of reference, which means he's in my periphery, not everything else. And when Jesus is in my periphery, I only look to him when I really need him. I only look to him when maybe I'm in a 911 situation. But my hope for each of us as we shelf our goals and we put our New Year's resolutions 
over here for a moment and we instead approach building a stronger foundation for our life, my hope is that begins with Jesus becoming our reference point and not just a point of reference. I think that's why Jesus says himself in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else, all else, and live righteously. And then he'll give you everything that you need, maybe not everything that you want, but everything that you need. In Hebrews chapter 12, I believe the writer really captures this point of him making, making sure, we making sure that he remains in our focus and not drifting into the periphery. The writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Can I just hang out there for a moment? There are some things in our lives, all of us, mine included, that we would know, like it's like, if this is the change that I want to see come to fruition in my life, and more importantly, the change that I think God is leading me towards, there are some things in our lives, each of our lives, that we, would, we could quickly point to that we would say are tripping us up. The way that I've referred to this in the past is, if we're not willing to act on the obvious, then we have to accept this idea of living in foolishness. Maybe you need to write that down. This is all of us. If we're not willing to act on the obvious things that we know are tripping us up, then we have to accept the notion that we're going to live in foolishness. Again, the Hebrews writer, let me just start over. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race, ready, that God has set before us. How often do we set out into a new year running the race that we have set out before ourselves? How often do we run after things, allowing Jesus to maybe remain in the periphery, but he's not the point, he's not the reference point? Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this, ready? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do this by making sure he's not just a point of reference but he is our reference point. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, here's where I wanna get really, really, really practical. Over my years of being in ministry, I've had a lot of observations. And throughout those observations, I have discovered that there are four main areas in people's lives that they either succeed greatly in or fail greatly in. And these particular areas, these four areas, have the tendency to cause the most devastation, which has caused me to do something that I now call foundational coaching. When I meet with people and I'm coaching people about different aspects of faith and life, um, I do this thing called foundational coaching, and I literally make a foundation with these four particular things, and it's these four areas. It's faith, family, finances, and friendships. These are the four areas I see people succeed and experience a lot of joy and value in, but when they fail, they experience a lot of devastation in. And so as a pastor, of course, I'm gonna give biblical counsel when it comes to these four things, and 
I think you probably already know this, but faith would be the cornerstone of this foundation. And maybe if you're an artistic person, maybe this is something that you do this week where you go home and you, you draw something and you create something to implement when it comes to creating a stronger foundation underneath your feet so that you can feel a little bit more steady when it comes to the other things, the other changes that you potentially want to implement into your life as well. Now, interesting enough, one of the things that I've learned in coaching people in these four areas is a lot of people will use the excuse at times, and maybe this is you, where it's like, I just don't have enough self-discipline. Well, interesting enough, social scientists have discovered that when it comes to people reaching goals like this, maybe in these four categories or others, that it, doesn't, it almost never comes down to a lack of discipline as much as it comes down to a lack of vision. In other words, they can't see the need for the sacrifices that will need to be made. And so what I have done in coaching people, and I'm kind of coaching you today, that's why I said it's gonna be practical, is I have encouraged people to write down vision statements around each of these four categories. And I encourage them to write them down in the first person as if they already exist. In other words, if I were to pick, let's just say family, and I were to write down vision statements, I'm gonna write a statement down as if, it already, as if it's already who I am. In other words, I am a husband who puts my wife above everything else other than my faith and want to model that to my children so they expect the same thing. I am a man who will always be available for his children when they need him so they know daddy is always there. You know, whatever it is, I'm just throwing some things off the cuff here. And so you write these statements down as if it's who you already are. And then you begin to put some intentional action steps in place to lead you to become that very person. Another way to do this is to write down these four things. What am I, what, what am I going to stop doing, start doing, keep doing, and change? Start, stop, keep change. And you can do these with each of these four areas. Now, when I'm coaching someone, I usually look at them and say, out of these four areas, which one is causing you the most anxiety or tension? Or which one would you say is the most broken right now? So that we always start with the area that is potentially what they need to experience the most. Now, for the sake of practicality, I'm gonna give you a few examples in each of these. So depending on which one of these, and I would tell you mentally just to choose one of these right now, which one of these would you say is the weakest in your life? Which one would you want to shore up? If these four things are the main four things that at least I've discovered that will create the strongest foundation underneath your feet, allowing you to feel a little bit more steady as you walk through the inevitable storms of this life, which one would you say that you need to spend a little bit more time on in 2023? Let me begin with faith. And let me state the obvious. I want to encourage you to make church a more consistent rhythm in your life. If you haven't been here for that long, then maybe you missed a sermon I preached. I want to say it was a year ago where I sat up here on stage and I talked about some of the most significant, I wouldn't say some of, the most significant moments of life transformation that have happened in my faith journey have happened in rooms like this. Not this room but rooms like this, where we are coming together to gather underneath the gospel and the banner of Jesus, and we're inviting the Holy Spirit to move powerfully in and through our midst 
And you've heard me say this before, I believe when we gather together in agreement, powerful things can happen. And some of you have experienced those. So I don't want to remove even a moment or a Sunday from the possibility of God doing something so incredible in your life that you would say that you, it was like before that Sunday you were this and then after that Sunday you were this. It happens every single week in this place. And so I wanna encourage you when it comes to your faith, make church a more regular rhythm. Make this gathering a more regular rhythm in your life, knowing that God could show up on any given Sunday and do something that you weren't expecting. I would also encourage you to maybe get in a small group. Some of you, um, well, let me say it this way. If we think that one hour a week among other believers is all that we need to sustain a life-giving faith, we're fooling ourselves, church. And so getting in a group of other like-minded people who love Jesus that can support you and encourage you, you ready? When those inevitable storms come your way, like the ones that you couldn't see coming, the ones that caught you off guard, the ones that when you feel them, the weight of them feels too heavy to carry on your own. But when you put yourself in a group of other people that can come around you and encourage you and support you and pray for you, man, it's amazing. It's amazing what we can overcome when we have other people in our corner. And so maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to get in a small group and commit more time. Again, just another hour or two every single week where you're among people that are learning about Jesus and studying the word of God and different things like that. And that's the last thing I would tell you, get in God's word every single day, not in a legalistic form, not, not because it makes you a good Christian, but so you can know the heart of God. Do you know how easier, how much easier it is for the enemy to lie to you when you don't know the word of God, when you don't know the voice of God because of studying his word? If not for any other reason, I would tell you to study God's word tenaciously so you know the truth, so the enemy can't fool you with lies. So that would be faith. Those are a couple encouragements. When it comes to family, I would, I would tell you to get a plan to have a family plan. Um, here's a couple things that we do, feel free to steal them. Um, they've worked really well for us, it may not work for you. One of the things we do at our house is we have put together what we call the Pennington Family Code. And uh, we don't like to call them rules, we just call it the code. And uh, we just did three because I don't want my kids to feel like just overwhelmed with all these expectations. So Emily and I spent a lot of time thinking about like, if we were just to pick three, what, what should they be? Like what, what three things would really help to establish the plan and the hopes that we have as a family together? And so we chose these three things. Number one, we always tell the truth. Because when truth goes and honesty goes, so goes the relationship. And so we always tell the truth. The second one is uh, we always work as a team. Why? Because it's not about you. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at one of my kids when they've been really selfish or they've done something mean against one of their other siblings and I've got four kids and I've looked at them and said, hey, we work as a team, why? And they look back at me, because it's not about me. That's right, it's not about you. So better get your little butt up to your, no. I mean. But even so much of being a kid in America, just this paradigm of the entitlement, you gotta see it if you're raising kids, just this, notion of feeling entitled to so many things. It's kind of wired into our children just growing up in this country. And so we have to fight against that. And I would tell you, and I would t let me just say it this way, I tell my kids, hey, one of, the, one of the most important aspects of being a follower of Jesus is selflessness. Guess what selflessness isn't? 
It's making this about you. Now, this is about us. We're going to work as a team. And another thing, we say this as a family all the time. In Pennington's, we're going to do hard things. We're going to do hard things. But the third thing in that code, so again, first is we always tell the truth. Second is we always work as a team. Third one is we always honor mom. And I get the most questions about this because everybody wants to know, well, why not dad? Well, because they know dad will beat them. It's not true. It's not, it's not true. I mean, it, maybe sometimes, but here's why. I've got three daughters, and I've got one son. And I want my daughters to observe what it looks like to be a wife that's honored by her husband. And she would tell you, I don't get this right all the time, but I work really hard to show my daughters through example. Why? Because I want them to have that same expectation for their future husband. And that's the kind of man that they, they'll look for. My son, I want him to see what it looks like to be a man who can honor his wife. That he can be strong, he can be masculine, he can, all those things. But he's going to honor his wife. And so those are our three. Feel free to steal them, feel free to come up with your own, but I would tell you to come up with something that allows you to have a plan as a family. That way you can point to the win. Because if you don't have a win, then everybody else is just guessing, right? The third area would be Friendship. And if I can, um, I could talk about this. I, I preach a whole sermon on this. Let me just talk to the students in the room. Some of you have heard me say this, some of you haven't, but I can say it with certainty. It is impossible to live the right lives if you have the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life if you have the wrong friends. You don't wanna trust my word for it. Let me point to one of the most wisest men who ever lived. Solomon says in Proverbs 18, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Man, I would encourage you parents to pray, and I do this almost every single time before I drop my kids off at school in the morning, is I pray um, over them, God, would you give them just one friend, just one friend who loves Jesus, just one friend who is gonna encourage them and want the best for them when it comes to faith, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus first. Pray for just one solid friend. In Proverbs 16, he says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Ain't nobody got time for gossip, right? Ain't nobody got time for that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, bad company corrupts good character. So let me say it again, it's impossible to live the right life. Students, listen to me, it's impossible, it's impossible, it's impossible to live the right life if you have the wrong friends. Now for the adults in the room, some of you know that there are some friends in your life that maybe you need to second, have a second guess about, uh, that you need to think through if this is actually making you a better follower of Jesus. And sometimes, man, I could preach all day on this, goodness. I'm, I'm getting off on a lot of tangents this morning. Thank you. Sometimes, we as adults, where it's like, well, didn't Jesus hang out with sinners? And so Jesus hung out with sinners. And so I'm gonna have some friends in my life that don't love Jesus, they're not sinners. And you just have to answer this question honestly. Are they becoming more like Jesus or are you becoming more like them? And I would even argue the fact that Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with him because they wanted to become like him. Come on, somebody. And so be careful the excuses that you make because of the company that you want to keep. Maybe some friendships need to be challenged 
this year. Maybe you need to think twice about the time that you're spending with certain groups of people. Last one, finances. The best advice that I could give you on this, in short, and to be as succinctly, succinct as possible, is invite somebody smarter than you into your life. And so whether that's reading a Dave Ramsey book or taking uh, you know, one of his courses, he has something called Dave Ramsey Plus, it's really good. We use those resources here at church or it's somebody else. There's a lot of good resources out there, but I would tell you, so many people get tripped up when it comes to this area. It's really important that you invite somebody smarter than you to help you to kind of create a framework of health when it comes to your finances. I would tell you these three things. When it comes to finances, be wise, be educated, be generous. Be wise, be educated, be generous. And let me close with this. Don't ever, and let me say it differently, be careful to not allow the voice of our enemy convince you that change isn't possible for you. You're too far gone, you've done too many things, there's too much baggage. All those other people, yeah, yeah, and maybe those other people, yeah, that change is possible for them, and, but you, no, 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 no. Too far gone. Don't ever buy the lie that change isn't possible for you. The enemy would want nothing more than to cripple you with indecision on the things that he knows will make you stronger, specifically a stronger follower of Christ. And remember that your habits, the habits that you create, the habits that you create will shape your identity. And then your identity will shape your habits. All of us are building whatever foundation that we're building, right? All of us build the foundation of our life one brick at a time through one choice at a time. Every action you take in the direction of Jesus is a vote for the person you want to become. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for new beginnings if we need them. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the ability to start over. Thank you for the reminder that change is possible for all of us. And not, and not just change, but transformation. And transformation, God, is that kind of change that people, when they see it, it's just like, whoa, you, you seem different. Something about you has changed. Father, I, th I pray that we would begin to build a stronger foundation underneath our feet, starting by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not just allowing him to be a point of reference in our lives, but becoming the reference point. And maybe there's another area in these four areas and categories that I mentioned, God, that somebody is just dying right now. They're experiencing a lot of turmoil, a lot of devastation. It feels like the storms in their life are, are winning God, I pray that you would, you would give them hope today, that you would show them that just through one choice at a time, one brick at a time, they can build a, a stronger foundation for their life. God, I pray that you would help us, guide us. Uh, we can't accomplish everything overnight, but we can make a choice today. I pray that choice gets us one step closer to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said, amen.